0: Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And are you ready to have the best school year ever? There's a quote I love where you can't pour from an empty cup. And you know, when you're on an airplane, that they instruct you to put on your oxygen mask before putting it on anybody else and assisting. Now, here's the challenge, right? As educators, we're naturally nurturing. We care about relationships, we care about other people, but what I find in the greatest irony is that we're terrible doing it for ourselves. And so I am super proud to announce that I've created a free five-day challenge. It's going to teach you how to optimize your personal habits in order to have your best school year ever. I want you to say goodbye to 60-hour work weeks, increase stress and poor health, and say hello to your best school year ever. This is, again, a free, absolutely free five-day challenge. Go over to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash challenge to register, and we begin on July 5th. See you there. Unless this is your first show listening, and if that's the case, welcome. We, we are so excited that you're here listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Uh, if you've listened to just a handful of shows, you know I ask All my guests, the same two questions at the end. Uh, What would you put on a school marquee around the world if you could do so for a day? And basically, how would you build your dream school? Well, today is an interesting conversation because my guest, Tom Wolper, is living out building his dream school. So we're going to start our conversation there. Right off the bat, in the beginning, how's he approaching being a founding head of school uh, and doing some really interesting stuff for his community with a focus on human-centered design. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back with the main content of this show right after a short message from our show sponsors. your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as part of Leading Learning, a brand new Certificate of School Management and Leadership course from Harvard. Leading Learning launches on July 21st and runs until August 18th. Apply by July 9th and enroll by July 15th at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hi there, Ruckus Maker. Today, I am joined by Tom Wolper, who is the New England Innovation Academy's founding head of school. Tom has spent more than 30 years in independent education, most recently as the head of school at Far Hills Country Day School in New Jersey. Prior to that, Tom had roles at the Groton School, the Taft School, and Apenya International School in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Tom lives in Massachusetts with his wife and two sons. Welcome
1: to the show, Tom. Thank you, Danny. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here.
0: So usually I, I end the show with you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, is your imagination. And honestly, you're you're basically living out that thought experiment right now. Now, there's I'm sure there's constraints of uh, resources. So uh, your answer will be a little bit different here. But since you are founding um, this school and starting it from the ground up, just tell us about the approach. I, I know the ruckus maker would be very interested to hear that.
1: Yeah, talk about a dream come, come true to be a founding head of school. And even looking at my background, I laughed in some ways I'm the least likely candidate having gone to a high school that was founded in 1810 and worked at boarding schools, founded in 1890s and been a head of a school founded in the 1920s. But all along, I felt that as wonderful as those institutions were, they were so bound by the cultural inertia of being around for so long that as much as they wanted to innovate and change, the central paradigm didn't allow them to go too far. They could only innovate around the edges. And so I always felt there was an opportunity to do something more. And then this opportunity kind of fell into my lap And I was so inspired by the founders of the school who fundamentally believed that our educational system writ large was not preparing students well enough for the future. And this is a future I think a lot of us have talked about, a future characterized by disruptive technologies, anything that can be done by artificial intelligence or a computer is gonna be done by artificial intelligence or a computer a world that is increasingly characterized by globalization and, tribal, and tribalism, but also a place where we're preparing students for jobs that don't exist yet, the end of careers as we know them, changing careers multiple times over the course of one's lifespan. And the old paradigm of education, which seems to be founded on that kind of factory model where students move from cell block classroom to cell block classroom, there's a teacher in front who is instructing where students kind of master kind of content in order to move on to a workplace where they have a job when they graduate and they can continue to do that until they're 65 and get a gold watch. That model is now preparing students for this changing world. And so I get to be a ruckus maker and part of a school that really wants to be a model for what education can and should be. And it's really centered on uh, innovation on the human-centered design process, which is all about providing students with a process to innovate, as well as an ethos to be an innovator. And the process has some distinctive steps. You know, Human-centered design is also called um, a design thinking by others, but steps to explore and express and create and test and implement, not in a linear fashion. It, it's a bit messy at times, But built into that is the need to understand others' needs with empathy, the need to iterate and fail fast and fail forward, uh, the need to deal with ambiguity, uh, the need to work together with others on a team. And this so much seems to be the skill set and the mindset that our students need to be prepared for that changing world, that to find a school that's organized around those principles, organized around helping students find their passion to help them translate their ideas to have impact so they can be ready for what's next, it has really been a dream come true.
0: Thanks, Tom. And, you know, the World Economic Forum, I think, just revised uh, some top 10 skills for 2025. And at the top of the list is analytical thinking and innovation, which is about problem solving. And then active learning and learning strategies is number two, which is about self-management. I'm sure the uh, disruption education went through uh, at the hands of the pandemic, you know, influenced this a lot because people had to be agile, they had to pivot, um, they had to be adept at self-management, right, because they're... um, You didn't have people checking in on you, that you're at the right place at the right time, turning in whatever you needed to turn in, et cetera. Uh, So a lot of complexity there. But when when you're thinking about, you know, you mentioned preparing kids for the future and the critique of school is the factory model and it's not preparing for jobs that don't exist yet. I I get that as an idea. But what does that actually like practically look like in school, you know, in, in terms of prepping them for that future?
1: Sure. I think a lot of schools have often talked about some of the key elements here. Schools talk about student agency. Schools have talked about having a design thinking process or a makerspace. Um, schools have talked about helping students find their passion. But again, that often happens on the edges or after the bell rings, as opposed to really being organized um, around that concept. And we're really focused on having real-world application for what our students do. And I'll give you an example. Our campus is located, it's contiguous to conservation land that has the Howe Pond on it. And we've learned through our conversations with the town that the pond is hypersalinated. It's not too far away from 495 and 290. And in the winter, in a good new England winter, they've got a salt. Those rows a lot, the salt has washed off and the pond is now hypersalinated. That pond fed into the backup a uh, reservoir for the town of Marlborough. So now that's foul. So we have a real world problem. I think this is where you begin is looking at a real world problem. And we're going to have an opportunity to study this pond, to work with the town, to recommend things that we can do to improve the ecosystem of that pond. We have an opportunity too, working with the town. There's a triborough trail system that wraps around that has not been built through that pond area. So we can build a bog bridge, do something that is environmentally friendly, and we'll be able to see if we can get the beavers to come back to the pond and they left kind of years ago. So I I think one thing is to find real world problems and to look to partner with civic groups or corporations or service groups and to build a program, a curriculum where the students are developing the analytical skills that they, that they need, but doing something where they can really have an impact. And that's where I think the learning is going to be deeper. It's going to be meaningful and it's going to last a lot longer than if it was in that old factory system model
0: yeah cuz there's there's a difference isn't there uh from reading uh, a, a case study or something in a textbook that describes an environmental challenge like y- you're talking about and then actually being the student that goes to the pond and uh figures out you know how how to make it a, well a place that beavers want to come back to right i think you <laughs> said they left years ago it's too salty they don't they don't like it but uh if they can see the fruit of that work, right, um, or that the reservoir now becomes functional again, I'm sure that that's going to be worn as a badge of honor, right? And 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 it's going to solidify that learning. They'll think about that for decades versus what they forget about in the textbook. That's what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah. And I think what's also um, exciting, that I often think that different government agencies and civic groups listen to student voices almost better than other adult voices, and I think that there's going to be some real power and impact uh, as our students look at a problem or a challenge like that. I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised at how their voice and their message is um, um, uh, uh, going to be picked up and, and kind of heard. And, and that's exciting too. And it's, it's also back to the point often when you study environmental issues, it's the next chapter in the textbook. We very much are using our campus, looking at our, our own campus ecosystem, food, energy, water. The challenges and opportunities in kind of Marlboro, that's our textbook. Uh, we aren't going to be telling our students what they're going to be learning necessarily. We're going to be partnering with them to identify the problems or opportunities that exist and using that as our teacher.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And then the point with the, uh, the outside groups, um, listening to student voices, is that something that your gut is telling you? Or I don't know, do you have experience with that or a story there? Or? That's interesting.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's been more through experience and based on the response that we've gotten from the uh, uh, local officials in uh, uh, Marlborough. So I think that there's often a lot of need for help and uh, whether you're going in to help a local civic group rebuild their website, it could be as simple as that or help them with the mailing or volunteer your time and effort uh, for a particular event, they often invite in those those student voices, but I think they're also they also tend to be very re- receptive to the work that students do. so that's probably a bit more good feeling than an accumulated experience, but all the feedback every step along of of the way just shows how powerful that voice can be. Mm, I,
0: I like that point that's why I had to ask so thanks for sharing. Um, I want to talk about human centered design, you know, which I think is founded on empathy and I know you told me a, a great story about empathy that helped me see what it is and what it is not and it had to do with police.
1: So can yeah. you uh, share that with the ruckus maker listening? Sure. Well, the, the first step in the human-centered design process is to understand the needs of others with empathy. And empathy is one of those words, I feel like, along with grit and resilience or a growth mindset, has been so overused has almost become bankrupt. People just kind of throw the term at different things. And I think the word empathy has often been confused with compassion or kindness or not really understanding how to develop empathy in our students. And my first training I did in understanding what design thinking was, a person told this great story that really made it clear to me. And the story went like this. Uh, there was this uh, a, a police officer who, while on his beat, got to know this homeless man. And over time, I got to know this person, and the calendar was slipping into the winter months. It was getting cold. And so the cop thought that he would go out and buy this man a pair of boots. He noticed that he didn't have any shoes. And when I bought the the homeless man a pair of boots, the story kind of hit the local news media. A few days later, a reporter tracked down the homeless man and saw that he was sitting on the street without any shoes. He didn't have the boots. And so the reporter said, heard that this cop bought you a pair of boots. Why aren't you wearing those boots? And the homeless man said, well, if I wore those boots, I was going to get robbed. It's far better for me to sell the boots and have the money and buy socks. Because what I really needed are socks to keep my feet warm in the winter. I went on to explain that the police officer with kindness in his heart, wanted to help this man, but never asked what the homeless man actually needed. And that's what empathy is all about, is deeply understanding the needs of others. And it begins with things as simple as asking them questions. And that's a step that gets left out so often in all that we do. We jump straight to the expert. We think we know what others need and want without actually asking them. And that's one of the most powerful ways to develop empathy, is to ask questions, and then importantly, over time, express it back to them to make sure that you understand.
0: Yeah, so reflecting back to check in, make sure you're getting it right, that that uh, your perspective and worldview still isn't influencing what you think they need or that you know better or something like that. I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, how, what does that look like then designing a school from the ground up and keeping, uh, I guess, founding families and their students' uh, perspectives in mind? How are you incorporating and in exercising your empathy uh, muscle that way.
1: Yeah, well, this has been so exciting, but it's also led to some of the uh, uh, ambiguity that I had talked about a bit earlier is we very intentionally don't want to overdesign many aspects of our school until we have, and we've just finished hiring our founding faculty, until we have the students in front of us because we have a, a vision and a framework But until we deeply understand their needs and can partner with them, then we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves. Otherwise, we aren't going to be a school that's practicing um, kind of human-centered design and all that we do. And there are some things, this first class of of students from helping us establish uh, what our honor code might look like. Uh, They're going to help us. In fact, one of the jobs we're going to have for our ninth graders is going to be to design what the dress attire should be for the school and then to operate a school store in order to uh, understand uh, from other students what they want to wear. We'll have some certain guidelines, of course, that they'll have to operate under. Then they're going to partner with our business office to do the purchasing. They're going to run the school store. They're going to have to manage the inventory. Uh, They'll have to, at the end, if there's leftover product, what they're going to do with it. Um, If they earn a profit, they can have a conversation. Either it can go into a student activities fund or they can give it away to a local group. But this is the way we're thinking about the entire experience of our students. And so what they wear, how they're going to acquire what they wear, running a school store, understanding the, the accounting and the rest of it is going to be part of the education and places we're going to lean into. All over the experience of the students.
0: Yeah, uh, I had a big smile, you know, thinking about experiences of running school stores with former students, and uh, and then my mind also jumped to, oh, better leaders, better schools. Probably by the time this actually this this show uh, launches, uh, we'll have a web store. I've been neglecting the ruckus maker audience in some respects because I've never had swag for them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Cause it's just not, um, I'm, I'm creative, but it, I, I honestly, I had no interest in, in having t-shirts or trying to sell t-shirts or whatever. Uh, and that was very focused on me, which was a, which was a problem because I see that educators and school leaders, they, they love that stuff. Right. Yeah. If, if they get value from this podcast, then that have a sticker, a hat, a shirt that didn't say "Better Leaders, Better Schools" because it's not about me or the podcast, but it says "Ruckus Maker." It's about Love them. Yeah, I think that's going to be quite fun. So, anyways, I, I, was, I, I was just thinking, man, I need to hire your students because I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I was about to say,
1: I've got a great school that um, you can partner with on that, Danny. But, 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 but even kind of beyond that, and and again. We do like swag it makes you feel part of a team part of a tribe and there's something really powerful about that, but even beyond that, you know there isn't to be the opportunities to market to look at an in person store versus an online store to understand accounting I mean all those other pieces is what some of the additional value added is and I can promise you for some students that might be one of the most enduring learnings that they take you know from being at her school is, is operating that kind of school store and finding the swag that sold the most in a given year.
0: Exactly, exactly. Well, Tom, I'm I'm really enjoying our conversation. We're going to pause here. It feels right to uh, get a quick message in from our sponsors. When we return, I want to hear more about um, the ideas work, which has to do with diversity, equity, and all that. Uh, And then, just personally, as a leader, you know, how you manage the the stress of founding a school with the opportunity. I think that'd be a really valuable uh, way to end the conversation for the Breakfast Maker listening. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as part of Leading Learning, a brand new certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Topics include aligning systems with instructional vision, creating structures for your students' academic and character development, developing your teachers, navigating change, and more. Leading Learning runs July 21st to August 18th, 2021. Apply by July 9th. Enroll by July 15th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right. And we're back with Tom Wolper, the founding head of school at New England Innovation Academy. And I'm really enjoying this conversation, uh, mostly because Tom's a really uh, inspiring leader, but he's doing what I ask all my guests, building his dream school. And that's just what an opportunity. Um, so maybe actually we'll start there, that second question, which was uh, how do you how, as a leader, right? just how are you managing the the stress of launching a new school also with the opportunity
1: yeah it, it's um it's been challenging. it's been uh, full of curveballs pivoting. I don't think I've ever used the word pivot so much in my life as I have in the last year, but it's so exhilarating and exciting to have this North Star Guiding Vision, where we really want to build a school that can be a model for what school can and should be. And, you know, that's the piece that gets me out of bed every morning, excited to get started, have outstanding colleagues, continue to kind of network to meet people like you and and kind of your listeners by extension. Um, And that that certainly uh, kind of keeps me going. You know, with us, you know, and this might sound a bit uh, Trite. You also have to take care of yourself. Uh, actually, starting with the pandemic a year ago, started doing a online yoga class with my wife, and, and I and I gotta say that's been transformative in terms of, of taking care of myself. In fact, I did a class at seven a.m. this uh, this morning, from the breathing, the focusing on the present moment, um, to getting out and walking more. So. If anything, by doing so much work from home, even as we've been founding this school, is making sure that I carve out time to take care of myself, to take care of my family, even as with the heavy lift and all the work, there's a lot to to do, but it's such inspiring work. I also laugh and feel like I'm more uh, ADHD now in my old age. I can go to a conversation about the building and furniture to looking at a partnership for our language program to recruiting a faculty member to, you know, going all over the place and all the different aspects of what a school is about that I've got to kind of code switch, you know, every 30 minutes to focus on and have a different type of a conversation. And that can be exhausting, but it's also, it's so exhilarating and exciting about this work and also keeps it fresh.
0: Uh, follow-up question, those, these always pop up, but you talked about being a model uh, for other schools, right? Like what school could be. So as you're building this, um, what does that look like in the future then uh, if, if other schools want to learn, you know, maybe human-centered design in terms
1: of school or, or just replicating, you know, what, what you all are? We certainly do plan on designing our own human-centered design um, curriculum that we plan on sharing out and making available. Some of what's great about being in the education space is the willingness of educators to share with each other, and certainly we'll invite people to come see our campus and what we are doing. Uh, If anything, I worry sometimes about the danger of a regression to the mean, that as we bring on more families and we bring on more faculty members, they're going to have their previous experiences of school that parents experience when they were a child. They're going to say they want this, and then they're going to worry that we're not offering AP courses or they're going to worry about what's happening at the school down the road. And I think staying true to our mission, bringing in like-minded educators is going to be such a key for us to continue to be the exemplar that I think that we can become. So we'll welcome everyone to come check us out. Uh, and we'll be sharing out the work that we are doing.
0: So let me ask you now about the ideas work. I think that's uh, including diversity, equity, inclusion as cornerstones of, of your vision. I might have missed something there, but yeah,
1: let's let's end with this one. Sure. And, and I've been struck by a lot in your podcast. You've talked with guests about how 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 systemic racism has presented a challenge, and certainly we can look at this last year uh, to see how it's kind of played out across the country, you know, most recently on January 6th. And it seems to me that many schools, as they've tried to take this on, and I started our conversation talking about being at some of the having worked previously at some really old schools that were not founded with diversity, equity, and inclusion as their founding mission. They were founded to get, you know, white boys into Harvard and into Yale. And even as they have evolved over time to do impressive work in this area, it's always been around the kind of periphery. It's never really been central to their mission. But for us as an innovation um, academy, it's really central to what we're all about. And to develop an innovator, you need to have a group of people who have diverse backgrounds, experience, and thinking. And by extension, you're looking at diversity in all of its forms and its visible and its invisible forms because we know that diverse groups outperform homogenous groups all the time. Mm -hmm. So for us to be successful in our mission, in our educational mission, we have to be a, a, a diverse school, both in terms of the students and the faculty. It's central to what we're all about. But that's not, but you can't stop there. And even in our that acronym, inclusion, diversity, equity, action is the A in social justice. And I think that many schools or institutions stop short of the action. You have to actively dismantle the existing racism. You have to actively examine your own bias. You have to actively think about how you develop a community of diverse learners. Having diverse people together doesn't make for a sense of belonging. It doesn't make for a sense of a school that's really activated by DEI. So that's going to be so central to us, beginning with our educational mission and then having to carry through with our actions, you know, down to we're not going to have a discipline system as much as we are going to um, look at a a restorative justice program in terms of how we go about addressing the issues that will inevitably come up in a school and a very different approach that really comes back to kind of DEI and a sense of belonging at its core.
0: I really appreciate that answer and, uh, unpacking what the A stands for too. We read in, in the mastermind, the leadership community, I uh, facilitate, uh, measure what matters, which has to do with, uh, objectives and key results, OKRs and the authors, yep. John Doerr. And, uh, Uh, I just, I have this quote memorized because it really resonates with my soul. Ideas are easy, execution's everything, right? So when it comes to DEI work, like, yeah, we're going to put on our vision and, you know, the website and everything that we love everybody and uh, honor diverse perspectives, blah, blah, blah. But then you have to do it, right? And so by including that A, that action, that activation uh, that's what's, I think, going to set your school apart from so many others. So uh, thanks again for for sharing that. When it comes to a school marquee, let's say you can put a message on every school marquee around the whole world for one
1: single day. What are you going to put on the marquee? I would put disruptive times call for disruptive action in a colon. <laughs> and I would And I would quote Gandhi and say, be the change you wish to see in the world.
0: Well, Tom, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: I want them to remember, and I'll pick up my last statement from Gandhi, is that they can be the change they want to see in the world. And they should continue to be a ruckus maker to make for better schools.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, ruckus maker